Hello and welcome to Founder Views. My name is Costa. I'm the co-founder at Web for Realty, a SaaS company that bootstrapped our business out of my parents' basement with no money and no experience into a fully remote company that has generated millions in revenue. In this podcast, I'll take you through my journey talking about business situations I'm currently going through, thinking about, or just find interesting. My hope is to share my experiences and help other entrepreneurs and business owners along the way. This episode is brought to you by Meet Edgar, the social media scheduling tool that manages itself. I've used a few social media apps and none have been nearly as effective as Meet Edgar. I have a ton of content on my blog that I've posted over the years, and my favorite feature is Edgar's auto variation tool, which automatically scans and pulls new quotes from my existing blog posts and repurposes those posts. It saves me a whole lot of time and helps continuously drive traffic to my website while putting my social media strategy on autopilot. I would definitely suggest it. Go to meetedgar.com to learn more. In this episode, I'm speaking with Max Kolish, one of the founders of Zinc. Uh, Zinc is an e-commerce lab that builds products that help tens of thousands of Amazon and eBay sellers with uh, listing creation, inventory management, repricing, and fulfillment. Uh, Max co-founded Zinc back in 2014. Uh, They went through Y Combinator, raised a seed round of 400K, and are now doing close to 6 million in ARR. Uh, Max is a super bright guy. He's an MIT grad, and this is actually his very first company. Uh, It was a great pleasure connecting and speaking to Max. I have no doubt you'll get a lot of amazing insights in this episode. So without further ado, here's my chat with Max Kolish. Max, thank you so much for joining me on the Founder Views podcast. Really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, if you want to kick things off, why don't you tell our audience a bit about yourself, your background, and what you're up to today? Sure thing. So um, I guess I'll, I mean, this is my first company, um, Zinc. And so I've been working on it for about five years now. Before that, I was at MIT studying computer science. Um, this company, Zinc, is an e-commerce technology company. Um, we went through Y Combinator back in winter 14. Um, and then we raised a small seed round, which by today's standards is basically a pre-seed round. Um, it was less than 400K. And since then, we've kind of bootstrapped ourselves to about $5 million in annual revenue. Um, we're, we, we build software for uh, big Amazon sellers, big eBay sellers. And we actually have a couple different products. Um, so I can get into those a little bit later and kind of how we went about uh, building those. Um, but besides that, I, yeah, I live in San Francisco and, and uh, work on this company, do some investing on the side. That's pretty much it. All right, cool. Uh, let's backtrack a little bit. So after graduation, did you jump right into Zinc or did you have, uh, were you employed elsewhere for a while? Or So I did a couple software development internships uh, to get some experience during college. And then senior year, I was actually, so I graduated early in three years and then I was doing my master's program. MIT has this nice one year master's. Um, and a good friend of mine uh, who was also a fraternity brother of mine was working on uh, the startup Zinc. Um, and it was a little bit of a different, you know, conception back then, obviously, but it sounded pretty exciting. I wanted to work with him. And so he, he and I basically started working together on some stuff and then we on a whim more or less applied to Y Combinator and they accepted us. And then we had this interesting challenge where we basically had to drop out. I had to drop out of my master's. He had to drop out of, of his undergrad, um, to do the program. 
And so we kind of started working on it right, right then and there, um, which was a little bit unusual, but it definitely, you know, YC gave us the kick that we needed, um, to, to focus on it really, really intensively. And that was, you know, to this day, that's, that's still probably the, the hardest I've ever worked in those three months. So, wow. What year, uh, what batch were you in? Winter 14. Okay, cool. Okay. So were you guys launched already or what year was Zinc founded? Uh, technically it was right at the beginning of 2014. Okay. So uh, tell us exactly like what does Zinc do? Yeah. So Zinc is an e-commerce lab and we've built several multi-million dollar SaaS products as well as an uh, enterprise arm and we have one financial product as well. So we're a little bit of an unusual startup in that sense. We build a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, we definitely contrary to the, to the popular wisdom of like focus on one thing, we've actually been super opportunistic and have seen a lot of adjacencies and like interesting opportunities in the e-commerce world. And we basically, uh, you know, couldn't pass them up. So, uh, our biggest product is called Priceyak and Priceyak is a dropship arbitrage automation tool. Um, so some of your uh, listeners might be familiar with dropship automation. It's basically a form of e-commerce, uh, of selling where you don't actually own the inventory that you're selling. You just kind of know where to get it. Um, and so we're the biggest player in that space and we automate a lot of that. So we automate the, um, kind of sourcing the products where they're coming from. We automate the repricing. Um, obviously as, as prices change, we need to keep up to date with that. Um, and kind of the coolest thing of all is that we built an automatic ordering API for any retailer. So basically you can, with one, with one post request to our service, you can automatically place an order on Amazon, Walmart, on pretty much any e-commerce property. Um, and that was kind of a core, that was actually funnily enough, that's the thing that we started with way back, uh, five years ago. Um, but bundling it into, it into price Yak was actually the most interesting thing because then a lot of non-technical people, these sellers could take advantage of it. Um, and it really saved them a lot of time. Um, so that's Priceyak, and then uh, we have another product called Joe Lister. Joe Lister is a multi-channel selling tool for Amazon sellers. So if you're familiar with tools like Channel Advisor um, or Sellbrite, it's similar similar to those, um, except it's by far the easiest one to use. So it's basically a one-click transfer of your inventory from Amazon to eBay. If you're already selling on Amazon, you click one button, and all of your inventory goes to eBay. We keep, you know, similar functionality. We keep uh, prices up to date. We keep stock up to date. We fulfill the sales for you, um, and a bunch of other nice things. But the focus is really on simplicity. You know, Amazon is obviously the um, the dominant player in this space, um, and eBay is kind of a distant second, but still a second place. And then everything else, you know, most people just don't sell that well, pretty much anywhere else. Um, so we just decided to focus on those big two and make it the easiest possible experience, so you don't have to spend a lot of your time worrying about that. Um, then we have some enterprise products um, and some other things in the works that I can talk about later as well. Okay, perfect. So, wh- who would you say are your primary clients? Is it sort of the mom and pop e-commerce store, or do you have any big players, recognizable names? Yeah, we definitely have a few of the top ten Amazon sellers, a few of the top ten eBay sellers, but they really span all across the board, anywhere from tiny to um, to really huge. Um, it's all over the place. Yeah, I mean, the biggest sellers tend to be. Um, sometimes they're very small operations, you know, sometimes they could be less than 10 people. Um, sometimes they're up to a hundred or a couple hundred people. So it really varies, but we service them all. Okay. Fair enough. Perfect. So, uh, l- let's talk about your, so you mentioned Y Combinator, you raised uh, was it 400,000 seed round around there? Yeah. Did you raise, have you raised any other, any other funds other than that round? No, luckily like it was just me and my co-founder back then. Um, and so we, 
you know, for us right out of college, we were like, okay, that's enough money in the bank that we can work on something and experiment around with things until we get something working. Um, and so, you know, we have that privilege obviously. Um, and then we kind of targeted profitability right from the get go. So we were, you know, once we were profitable, we actually, um, I think we, we hit about a million in ARR when it was just me and him still with maybe a few part-time people. Um, so we were really conservative on the hiring side. Nice. That's impressive. Uh, how, how did you deploy that 400,000? Um, honestly, we didn't really, <clears throat> we didn't really, uh, we, we ran a bunch of different experiments, but there wasn't anything like, you know, we weren't like funneling that into growth or anything like that. Um, uh, you know, we paid ourselves minimum salaries and we, you know, ran some ads here and there, hired some part-time people here and there, but really it wasn't, uh, you know, we, we did actually pay some, uh, engineering contractors who, um, one of whom actually built Priceyac while he was a contractor for us and he's not our CTO. Um, so that kind of worked out well, but um, yeah, we didn't really like reinvest it rapidly into growth or anything like that. You know what? It's uh, it's very refreshing to hear about a, a company who who got some funds but still had that you know profitability and you know sustainability model uh, in effect while having you know this bankroll behind you. So you know, good yeah, job, congratulations you, there. Thanks. Yeah, it gives you peace of mind for sure um, to have it there, and you know you don't have to use it. Just having it there is is kind of reassurance that you don't have to go and, and work for, you know, Facebook or Google or wherever else everybody was working, um, back then. Um, and so that kind of gave us some flexibility and, and we needed it cause we didn't actually figure out what we were, you know, any of the products we're working on now, we weren't working on for the first nine to 10 months of our existence. So, um, it did take us some time to kind of test a lot of different things, talk to a lot of different customers and then finally hone in on some things. Love it. Good stuff. Uh, so how big is your team today? So today it's about 17 people. Um, so we're still fairly small um, for our revenue. Um, half half or so are in San Francisco, and then we have half remote. Um, so we're pretty remote friendly. Um, yeah. Okay. And uh, what sort of the distribution of your team, like percent of developers to sales? So we are about eight or nine engineers. Um, we have a couple salespeople and a couple account managers. Um, and then the rest is kind of operations, customer support, and, and, and roles like that. Okay, perfect. Um, you know, what I've learned over the years is that, you know, you can't really build a great company without having a great team behind you, which I'm sure you can uh, attest to. Uh, what do you look for when, when hiring new team, team members to join Zinc? Yeah, that's a great question and, and definitely a good point. I think that uh, we would not be where we are right now if it wasn't for, uh, for the people we've hired. But um I guess, I mean, there's some prerequisites. So obviously, you know, you have to be smart and obviously have to um, be a little bit interested in the space and things like that. But I think the biggest thing that we look for is self-motivation. Um, so kind of a, a drive to do things yourself. I think other founders, you know, who are listeners will relate. Um, it's really nice when you don't have to direct people um, all the time. You don't have to you know, tell somebody what to do every day. You can kind of give somebody a vague sense of what a problem looks like and have them come up with a solution to it or give them a, an objective and, and have them live up to it. So especially in the early days when there's, you know, low management structure and low kind of uh, a low amount of processes, it's really important that everybody's accountable and that everybody takes responsibility for kind of their role in the company. And so one of the big things we look for is somebody who likes ownership of a large portion of the company or a large portion of the business. Um, it's pretty much, you know, the number one characteristic we look for and it's really paid off. Very good. Perfect. So you said half your team is now remote, right? 
Uh, I think a little less than that. I think I actually have around a third, but yeah. Okay. Were, were you set up um, intentionally to be remote when, when you guys first started or is that something recent? No, we were not actually. It's uh, We've always had a very flexible culture as far as where you work from, when you work. Again, if you're responsible for, um, you know, if you meet your expectations and you uh, uphold your responsibilities and things like that, we give you a lot of flexibility, um, as an employee to, to travel, to work from wherever you want. And, and our employees take advantage of that. And me and my co-founder do as well. And so, um, we, you know, it inherently it lended itself to this more distributed feeling structure. Uh, even though a lot of our early hires were in San Francisco, um, San Francisco is still where a lot of the tech talent obviously is. Um, but for example, you know, this year we have an engineer who's moving from San Francisco, um, out to Colorado. And so, you know, he's going to stand board and work remotely and we're already pretty well set up to do that. So it should be a pretty painless transition. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our team is also same size, actually 17. We're fully remote though. We've been remote now for both three years and, uh, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Any tips on managing your remote team? Like any tools you guys use or productivity apps or anything like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we're pretty low on the tooling. I think, I mean, we use kind of Fabricator for, for task management and Trello in some cases. We use Slack pretty heavily. Uh, I think Slack is, is pretty useful, although some teams obviously find it a little too distracting and too noisy, but I think we keep it um, pretty productive. Um, what else do we use? Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah, we were pretty low touch on the on the tooling, but it's more about the you know a lot of different tooling can work if you have the processes set up correctly. So more or less just setting goals weekly, having um, you know touch points with with kind of each person responsible for each different domain area, uh, things like that. Nice. And is uh sorry, last question about remote is is your remote team based in the U.S. or out of country as well? So mostly in the U.S. Um, we have. Um, you know, our lead DevOps engineers in Spain. Um, I think he's actually the only one international. So everybody else in the U S okay, perfect. So you mentioned, uh, Zinc's now doing, was it 5 million ARR five to yeah, six between five and six. We'll do this year probably. So how long, or actually, I guess it took you about, uh, four or five years to get to five to six million. Oh, ARR. Years, yeah. Or I guess we, I mean, we, we, we've kind of, we didn't grow too much this past year. Um, we were kind of growing our team and, and, and that sort of thing. So, um, it actually took us about three years, I would say, or three and a half to four years to hit that five, five mark. Um, yeah. Okay. What would you say was the biggest challenge from getting from like zero revenue to 1 million ARR and then to three, then to six? Like what are some of the sort of challenges or pain points to, to climb up the ladder? Cause those are significant, you know, jumps in a pretty short time, I think. Right. Right. Um, so between zero and one, I think the biggest thing for us was just figuring out kind of product market fit. We had built a couple different things um, before that that had some usage, had some you know interest, had some traffic. Maybe we were doing a lot of consumer stuff, um, and then we found something that was actually that actually started making some money. And so we quickly hit about you know five to ten um, five to ten thousand dollars monthly, um, and from there to one million, it was kind of like expanding upon that same product. Um, I think we were pretty much focused, you know, heads down on that. And that was price yak. Um, getting to one to three, I think we needed to think a little bit more big picture. Um, it wasn't like we could just continue, you know, ramping up the the marketing and sales for that and, and hit the same points. We needed to do a lot of product development and a lot of kind of um, expansion uh, to, to get to the three mark. So that's when we created um, Joe Lister. We kind of started doing some enterprise sales, um, things like that. We realized our technology was pretty 
awesome and it wasn't only useful to these dropshippers. And then we, you know, we had a little bit more confidence and a little bit more leeway and money to experiment with some new things. So, um, that was kind of the main thing in getting to the, to the next level. As you got to that like two to five million ARR range, uh, did you find your internal processes and efficiencies uh, had to change or update a bit? Yeah, I think it was it was a little bit easier for us because we were so small. Um, so it was just like I said, me and my co-founder up until about um, a million or so, um, plus plus a couple a couple part-time people. Um, and so it was, you know, pretty. It was pretty different, I guess. This, the scaling process was more about hiring and establishing those processes in the first place than than changing them up. Um, and it's it's really started, you know, to to be something that we're thinking a lot about only recently. When we, you know, this year we hired about seven people. So starting out in 2018, we I think we were yeah only about nine or ten people. Um, and so only this year have we really started thinking about more about the processes and setting up like well structured teams, um, setting up the pathways for communication to make sure it's pretty efficient. Um, that sort of thing, you know, before that everybody's kind of still in the same room more or less, even, if, you know, even if a few people are remote, it still feels like that because you can always ping somebody and, um, it's, it's pretty easy to get a response and kind of everybody knows what everybody else is working on. Um, but once you scale past around, I want to say 10 to 15 people, it does become really important to put these processes into place. Yeah, I agree. I think that's super important, especially as you scale. Once you hit that, those, that 15, I think, uh, you're totally right. Um, what's your highest grossing product? Is it price yak? I'm assuming. Yeah. Price yak. I think price yak is our highest grossing. Um, yeah. Okay. And you're rolling zinc. Are you more a biz dev or are you still involved in development? Yeah. Um, I don't do any coding anymore. Thankfully. Um, we have amazing engineers that, that do that. Um, uh, me and my co-founder actually split things up in a pretty non-traditional way. Again, we're like a little bit different in that we have multiple products that are essentially different product lines. And so we split up based on product line. So he actually is mostly responsible for price yak. Um, and I oversee a lot of the other stuff. So, um, right now I'm, I'm kind of working largely on new products and new initiatives for us that we've recently seen. So a couple different opportunities for brands, um, a couple different opportunities for larger retailers. Basically we've, we've built so much technology through the course of making these SaaS products that we think is super, super useful outside of just the kind of niches that we've filled so far um, that we're really focused on expanding into into those. And so I'm kind of leading up that charge. Um, Priceyac, uh, you know, where traditionally it was it was largely, uh, you know, if your listeners are familiar with the arbitrage space, it's largely Amazon to eBay um, is a big component of it. But um, recently we're seeing a lot of new kind of um, new marketplaces, new source markets as we call them. So stuff like, you know, in China, there's AliExpress and there's, you know, a lot of people doing international arbitrage and things like that. So, um, my co-founder Doug is, is largely focused on, you know, making price yak fill all those needs. Um, and kind of, there's a lot of really big customers in that space. So we're, we're discovering them and, and talking to them. Nice. All right. Perfect. So my audience, as you know, uh, you know, pretty much in the SaaS world, um, what are some of the key SaaS metrics you guys look at to determine the health or state of your business? Yeah. So I guess I'll talk about Joe Lister first. Um, so with Joe Lister, uh, we kind of have a nice stack set up with Stripe and, and ProfitWell. Um, ProfitWell is really cool. It's basically just, I think bare metrics is similar. We've never tried it though, but, um, plugs into your Stripe and gives you most of the SaaS metrics that you need, um, which is really convenient. Um, obviously there's, you know, the basic stuff, the number one thing that we keep an eye on is revenue. Um, and then beyond that, the most important things are, are obviously like new trials per, per week or per month, um, kind of, uh, LTV, 
the distribution of people between different plans um, and like basically churn, so like retention. Um, we don't do too much paid marketing actually, which is kind of unique to our company. So if you do, you know, paid marketing, obviously you want to keep a better eye on the on the you know CAC and on the LTV of your um, of your existing customers and growing that and tricking your CAC. Obviously, um, we don't you know our, our LTV is quite high, but we actually keep you know we have good word of mouth and we have good referral programs set up that we don't actually run too many too many ads. I think we might do you know a few thousand dollars a month worth, but um, nowhere near um, what a lot of companies in that revenue range would do. Um, do you track your LTV to cost of acquisition ratio? Yeah, I mean, when we do right now, I think it's like a four, four to one or five to one. Um, and yeah, we, we kind of just want to focus on on supercharging the organic stuff. Um, we think there's a lot of you know low hanging fruit there, so we we kind of focus on that first. Yeah, that's that's a that's a healthy spot to be in. Um, did you find churn increasing as you climb up the revenue ladder again from that one to three mil to six mil? I think churn with us, um, so there's an interesting component of churn in this particular business because in marketplace sales, so for Amazon sellers and for eBay sellers and the like, there's actually a lot of inherent kind of intrinsic or beta churn or whatever you want to call it. That's just people going out of business. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, but there's a lot of literature online about, hey, like there's this course to become an amazing professional Amazon seller and you can make, you know, a million dollars in your first year. Um, and there's this whole ecosystem of, of things, which is kind of why we avoid, you know, content marketing and we avoid, uh, you know, ads and stuff like that, because there's just in, in this industry, there's a lot of, uh, players that get a bad reputation for kind of selling people on this big dream. Um, and so we try to avoid that as much as possible. Um, and so what I would say we're affected by the churn, but a lot of it comes from actually people who are signing up, you know, they just started selling and then they, you know, want to get all the tools and want to optimize everything and then just end up going out of business. Um, so unfortunately, obviously it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it's, um, it's kind of a interesting facet of the business that, you know, the customer base is constantly evolving. Um, so I think it actually, you know, pressures you to, um, to keep up with, with kind of the times more, more so than other businesses where you might have a customer that just signs up on a, you know, $20, $30 a month plan and sits on it forever. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. There's, you're so right. There's so much of that nowadays where what I like to say, people like to, um, get to the finish line without running the race. You know, that's why you're seeing a lot of these, you know, you, you know, get rich quick courses and, and things like that. And yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, so yeah, you, you find that's where a lot of your churn come from, from the companies that just don't last and sort of come and go. Some of them do I mean, we do have some competitive churn. There's a lot of uh, players in kind of the down market space. Um, we, we tend to do pretty well in the mid market to up market, uh, but down market, you know, there's a lot of customers that just need a certain set of tools or they're inc- incredibly price sensitive. Um, and so there's um, some people will go to those. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's a lot of this beta churn. Nice. Do you disclose churn numbers? Um, I <laughs> We haven't before. Um, but it's, I want to say it's probably like 5% a month. So it's like pretty, pretty high. Okay. Yeah. What, what are some ways you're like, how, how are you combating that turn or churn or is there any tools or tips or, or things that you're trying out to, to lower that? Yeah. So just to clarify, this is mostly, I'm talking about Joe Lister here. Um, right. Right. Okay. Those numbers that are more fresh on my mind. Um, we, yeah, we, we, we do a lot of proactive things. So when we notice somebody's not, you know, listing on their plan, creating listings, if we notice somebody's not making sales, 
Um, we'll reach out to them proactively oftentimes and we'll say, Hey, you know, you, you know, you have like more listings included in your plan. You could be, you know, selling more, uh, cross listing more stuff to eBay. It's really easy. Let us show you how to do it. Um, if somebody hasn't made sales in a while, we try to reach out to them and we say, Hey, are you like optimizing this? Are you working on this? Um, kind of just being a little bit more proactive about these things. Um, I, I think a lot of people worry about doing that because you, you know, you have some people who are just kind of, you know, on that plan and they forgot about it or they're not, they don't care or whatever. So they're afraid of reaching out to them. But I think for us, like those, you know, those people are going to churn eventually anyways. And you actually get a lot more credit with your customers. If you just talk to them about it, reach out proactively, help them out when they're obviously like struggling. Um, so we focus a lot on that kind of automation where we can detect things that, um, you know, a successful seller should have and that you don't have and then reaching out to you, whether it's via email or, you know, sometimes we'll call. Yeah, I think that's important too. I see a lot of companies who who do have that sort of out of sight, out of mind approach when it comes to proactively reaching out. Uh, but you're right. I mean, these these companies are, or the, these customers usually like the low bearing fruit will churn eventually. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, what's next for Zinc? Where do you guys see yourself or want to be in the next three to five years? Yeah, so we're going to continue growing. Um, we have pretty ambitious growth plans uh, with with some new products. Um, we finally kind of started breaking in a lot into the enterprise space. Um, so working with larger retailers who, um, you know, basically we're a pretty high volume scraper of Amazon, and we do a lot of stuff with, you know, with Amazon um, and, and kind of not antagonistic, but we basically, but we, we do a lot of stuff to Amazon that Amazon does to other retailers in terms of like competitive intelligence and, and repricing and gathering data. Um, and so we, oftentimes we think of ourselves as we're empowering a lot of these retailers who don't have the same tech teams or a lot of these brands who don't have the same tech teams as Amazon. And we can sell them, um, pretty similar data, pretty similar functionality to what Amazon will do to them. Um, and so that's a big focus of ours for 2019. Um, and we have a couple of other interesting products where we've learned so much about this space, about the ecosystem, about how, you know, eBay and Amazon works, about how marketplace sellers work. Uh, a lot of that data has, has kind of <laughs> created a lot of ideas for us in terms of what uh, kind of products we can build. Um, so right now we're working on um, this repricing product, like I mentioned, basically a, a way for other retailers to stay competitive against Amazon. Um and that's not just Amazon. You know, we we look at all sorts of different retailers, but Amazon is obviously the the most interesting one for a lot of players. Uh, so we kind of focus on that. Um, we're doing some stuff with like unauthorized resellers. Um, we're kind of building some technology to to detect them, take them off the market, and and kind of sell that to brands because some brands are very um, you know meticulous about who's selling what of theirs at what price. And since we know the space in and out, we can actually help them a lot with that sort of detection. Um, so there's a there's a bunch of things. Those are two examples, but um, you know we were excited to continue growing our existing products. But I think it's pretty much in our DNA to to um, build new and exciting and bigger stuff too. So we're doing both. Nice, very good. Thanks for sharing that, uh, Max. I do want to be mindful of your time. Uh, I do end off each chat with what I call the top three. You ready? I am ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, number one, your favorite business book or your favorite podcast? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, well, our company is, we had a required reading of uh, Rework, um, so I would say that one is a, is a good read, and it's very short. Nice, yeah, I read that, a great book. Uh, number two, your favorite vacation spot? La Ventana in Mexico. Wow. Great country spot. La Ventana? 
La Ventana, La Ventana. the window in Spanish. It's, oh, okay. uh, it's a great night surfing spot outside of Cabo. Okay, and, nice. I never heard yeah. of it actually. I've been to Mexico a few times, but so that's near Cabo. Yeah, it's in uh, Baja, California. Okay, definitely. cool. And uh, last question. I actually took this uh, off of uh, Nathan Latka's podcast. It's a it's a great question, which I love. Uh, if you can go back, what do you wish your twenty year old self knew? Oh man, that is tough. Um, I guess just continuing to work hard and and grinding. Um, I think the, you know, I was, I was kind of a studious person in high school and studious person in college and, um, you know, was working hard and, and YC, we worked really hard. Um, that was around 20 years old and, um, you know, kind of now it's paying dividends obviously, uh, but it takes a while to get there. And so I think like the consistent work ethic is really important. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Great advice. Uh, there's definitely no replacement for hard work and persistence. Um, I'm a firm believer that no matter what you do, hard work certainly does pay off. Uh, yes. Max, uh, it was a great pleasure meeting you. Great chat. And I hope we can do this uh, again sometime. Yeah. Great chatting with you. Thanks for having me on. All right. Continued success. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, I would love to hear it. Be sure to check out founderviews.com for my latest posts and episodes on my journey with everything SaaS, business, and startups. Talk to you later. Peace.